0: You know, if, uh, I hope you're with us in our Bible reading. My wife told me today, because she's better at math than I am, that we are on day 301 of reading through the Bible to uh, uh, right now. And I want to encourage you to finish the year with us. Uh, just jump in where we are in our Bible reading. And, um, you know, every Sunday we're preaching through a passage that we've read uh, this week. And,. Um, And today we're in Acts chapter 20, and we have a a special guest today. I'm I'm thankful that Todd Fisher's here. He is uh, our executive director treasurer of of Oklahoma Baptists. And um, I've been serving in a role, a volunteer role, that I'm about to hand the baton off uh, on November 14th. And uh, and it's been an honor to serve with Todd over the last two years as he's come into this role. And uh, and man, he is a gifted leader and is leading with integrity, and I'm thankful uh, for him. So, I want you to welcome Dr. Todd Fisher. Uh, let's give him a hand. Todd, so, so thankful that you're here. We love you.
1: Thanks, buddy. Well, I sure am grateful to Pastor Chris for inviting me uh, to come. I want to brag on, first of all, those nice things that he said. I invite Chris to speak at my funeral one day. That's uh, really kind, what he said to me there. But uh, I want to brag on your pastor for a minute. He's just done such a great job as the president of our state convention for the last two years now. And in November here, in just a couple of weeks, we'll have our annual meeting and uh, our messengers will elect a new president since Chris has served his two-year term. And uh, Chris would not be lying if he said he's ready to hand that mantle off to somebody else. That's been a lot of work. He has put a lot into uh, what he has done for us. He's helped uh, our pastors come together on multiple occasions on the campus of OBU and just have some dialogue about issues that we're facing today that really need to be talked about. And uh, he's just been a really great leader. So I want to brag on him. And yes, y'all give him a hand. Uh, I, know you're, I know you're very grateful to have uh, Pastor Chris as your pastor. And by the way, I, I want to just come today and say, don't forget to pray for this guy and really to pray for your whole church staff. Uh, leading a church today is not an easy thing to do. Being a pastor has never been an easy thing, but in our world and culture and climate today, it's really difficult, and he has to make a lot of very difficult decisions. So uh, I hope that you will make a matter of praying for Chris, praying for your staff uh, as part of your regular prayer time. Lift them up to you, and uh, they really appreciate that and appreciate uh, your encouragement. So I want to come this morning, and uh, essentially I want to bring you greetings on behalf of, 1746 of your fellow sister Southern Baptist churches in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, that's a lot of churches, and just about every community in Oklahoma has a Southern Baptist Church in it. And the thing that makes us Southern Baptists unique is something called the Cooperative Program. And there are other other churches, other groups out there that have very similar beliefs to us, but really only Southern Baptists are funding, missions and ministries the way uh, that we do. And we do that cooperatively together through this thing called the Cooperative Program. So you may or may not know, but every time you give to your church, you're actually supporting all of these things that the CP uh, helps to fund. And so your church, as you give your tithe to your church, your church is giving a certain percentage of its undesignated gifts to this Cooperative Program. And must all all of our seventeen hundred plus churches are contributing to that and doing that, and so let me just kind of tell you real quick. I'm going to scratch the surface of the things that you are actually helping to fund every time you give to your church here at First Baptist Church of Owasso, and I can start right here with the yellow shirts in the room uh, with disaster relief. And so, disaster relief is one of our ministries of the state convention. And when there's a tornado, a fire, a flood, a natural disaster. Uh, these men and women show up in these yellow hats and yellow shirts. They're there to do what they do free of charge. They, they help clean up. They help, help folks in their homes and their neighborhoods, and uh, they point them to Jesus and point them to the local church. And that's just such a great ministry of our state convention that you're helping to support. Uh, another one is the Baptist Collegiate Ministries. We have 39 BCMs, in the state of Oklahoma. And I think you'll agree with me when we talk about the importance of sharing the gospel with college students. So you're helping to support that as well. And then uh, there's, a, there's a little church camp down in South Central Oklahoma called Falls Creek that you may have heard before. And uh, the cooperative program is helping to support that. Let me tell you something, friends. This summer at Falls Creek, we had a record summer. We had the most students ever in the history of Falls Creek in one summer commit their lives to follow Jesus Christ. It was over 2,600 students gave their lives to Christ to follow him. Yeah, you can give the Lord a hand for that. And then we have Cross Timbers, which is our children's camp, which is a missions camp, and also points them to the gospel, shares the gospel. We have Camp Perfect Wings, that's a camp for special needs children and adults. Uh, we have a lot of wonderful things that our state convention does. And then part of that cooperative program goes to what we call our affiliates. So when you give to your church, you're helping to support Oklahoma Baptist University, you're helping to support Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children, and you're helping to support Baptist Village Communities, our, our retirement center. And also Water's Edge, which is the the group that that manages all of the assets of those affiliates. And then we we take a big chunk of what the Oklahoma churches send to us, and we send it to Nashville, to the National SBC. And now you've got about 48,000 sister Southern Baptist churches in this country all giving to that cooperative program. And about half of what we send them goes to the International Mission Board, and then the remainder is split up between mostly between the North American Mission Board and the six Southern Baptist Seminaries. Now, did you hear everything I just spouted off? That was a whole big mouthful, wasn't it? Every time you're given to First Baptist Church of Owasso, you are helping to support every single thing I said. And so the cooperative program is really an amazing, unique way for every church, large and small, to be a part of making a difference for the gospel all over the globe. So I want to come this morning and give a heartfelt thank you to your church. Your church plays a significant role in the cooperative program, and so I just want to come and uh, and say thank you to all of you for your partnership in that. All right, now, you did not come to church this morning to hear stump speech about the cooperative program, right? My, my, my guess is you were probably getting a little bored with that, and I might have been getting a little bored with that. So uh, I wanted to come and uh, share from God's Word Uh, with you. Chris actually gave me an assignment, and I thought I think that's pretty great. I I preach in a different church every single Sunday uh, throughout Oklahoma, and um, usually everybody just, you know, hey, just do whatever you want to do. And uh, Chris said, I'm in the series, and just as he said to you, we're, we're working through these passages. Would you preach that passage? I said, man, I would love to do that. And so the passage today is Acts chapter 20. And It's kind of a long passage. We'll take a moment uh, to read it, but Acts chapter 20, and it begins with verse 17. And This passage of Scripture is commonly known, what, what we call Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders. Now, Paul planted a lot of churches, but Ephesus was very, very special. It was very near and dear to him. Uh, he had spent three years there, much longer than he spent with any other church, and so, he really loved these people, and so he's, he's about to kind of come to, to the end. In fact, in this passage of Scripture, he says he'll never see them again. And really, this is kind of his final, final words to the leadership there at Ephesus. And there's some wonderful things that we can draw out of this passage of Scripture about how we are to follow Christ and how we are to serve Him and to serve others with our lives. And uh, before we read the passage of Scripture, I, I want to tell you a little story. That kind of gets us in this frame of mind, a framework for this passage and what we're going to pull out of it. Um, it, it it's possibly an anecdotal story. There is some evidence that uh, this happened. My my home my home pastor used to define a pastor story as uh, he would say, "No, this didn't happen, but it's true." Uh, <laughs> I think this happened, but uh, it, it is it is for sure that. One of the first international missionaries in the modern church age uh, was a man named James Calvert. James Calvert, as a young man living in England, he and his wife felt called to missions and felt called specifically to the Fiji Islands to be missionaries. Now, in the 1800s and 19th century, the Fiji Islands was a, a dangerous place because it was inhabited by cannibals. And so, as the story goes, uh, uh, Calvert and his young wife—they're on the long boat ride from England to the South Pacific, and somewhere on that long boat ride, the captain catches wind of what Calvert and his wife are about to do, and he really feels bad about it because he feels like he's—he's he's delivering this perfectly nice young couple to their execution. And so, on the ship ride, the captain would go to Calvert kind of frequently and try to talk him out of this. He would go to Calvert and would say, now, now, you and your wife are going to go to the Fiji Islands. And, and, and Calvert would say, yes, sir, God's, God's called us to be missionaries there. And he said, now, now, you know what's on the Fiji? Inhabited by cannibals. It's a very dangerous place. Pirates, rum runners, you name it. It's really dangerous. I don't think you want to go there. And every time, Calvert would just say, no, the, the Lord has called us to serve there. And so finally, as the story goes, as the ship gets closer to the Fiji Islands, about to drop them off, Uh, the the captain's just really, really distraught at this. He just hates the idea this young couple's about to go. And so finally he goes to Calvert, and he doesn't mince any words. He doesn't hold back any punches. He he just says to him what he kind of been tiptoeing around. And finally the captain goes to Calvert, and he says, listen to me. He says, do not go to that island. If you do, if you and your wife step foot on that island, both of you will die. Calvert looked at the captain and said, Sir, with all due respect, my wife and I died before we left on this trip. And that really is an insight into what it means to follow Christ. It is to die to self. It is to die to our own agenda, to anything about us, and it is to have Jesus Christ living His life through us. And how that looks, how that kind of plays out in a daily life, I think you see this in this passage of Scripture, as the Apostle Paul gives some final admonition to these leaders in the church. So, let's read this passage of Scripture together. Acts chapter 20, uh, beginning with verse 17. Now, from Miletus, he, Paul, went to Ephesus, or sent to Ephesus, And teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course. and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So, let's just take some some things from this passage of Scripture, and let's talk about how we can think about improving our serve, how, how we can serve the Lord and serve others as He calls us to follow His Son, Jesus. Now, the first thing that I would just say is that we see in this text is that Paul is an example, and Paul encourages us to serve the Lord with humility. In fact, you see those exact words in verse 19. What does he say? He says, I was serving the Lord with all humility. You look down again at verse 24, and he says, I do not consider my life of any account or as dear to myself. So the first thing we've got to do to serve is we've got to be selfless people. Now, it's kind of innate in our nature, inherent within us, to be kind of selfish, right? If, if you want a little example of that, if you're ever on Facebook or Instagram, social media, or you're looking through an old uh, 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 college yearbook or high school yearbook, and there's a picture of a group of people, and you know that you're in that picture, who's the very first person you always look for? Yourself, right? You know, Does my hair look good? Is there something in my teeth? Am I, am I all the, together, you know, in that picture? It's just kind of inherent for how we are. Now, humility can, can be expressed, and we can think about it in, in a number of ways. First of all, uh, in humility, we should not be thinking of ourselves all of the time. And when we do think of ourselves, we should think of ourselves not as highly as we may be thinking of ourselves. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, for who regards you as superior?" what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Now, did you hear what he's saying there? At the end of the day, the Christian must understand that anything that I have in terms of material means, any ability that I can do, at the end of the day, this is gifted to me by God. I really do not have what I have today because I am so smart or because I am so clever or because I am so powerful or so shrewd. At the end of the day, I have what I have and I can do what I can do because God has gifted me to do it. And he says here, the ministry that he has called me to. You know, in the same book, just a chapter or two before, is when you've got Paul having this real, real, just down-to-earth transparent, I mean, he's tired of getting beat up, he's tired of, of, of suffering and all this, and he has this just kind of transparent oomph to God, right? And here they come after him, and, and, and he's just so tired of it, and, and, and he basically says, you know, he shakes the dust off, he says, the blood of, of all this be on your heads, and he just kind of goes and pours out his heart to God. And in a vision, in a dream that night, God says to Paul, He says, hey, Paul, first of all, don't be afraid. You keep preaching the gospel. You keep doing this. And then he says this really amazing, interesting thing to Paul next. He says, now, you you don't be afraid. You keep preaching the gospel in this city because I have many people in this city. Now, what do you think God means when he says to Paul, I have many people in the city? That's why you need to keep preaching. You know what he's telling Paul right there? He's telling Paul, hey, Paul, I just want to remind you this is not your ministry. This is my ministry that I've called you to. So we always have to understand, this is not my life. This is not my goods. This is not my abilities. This is not my ministry. If you teach a class or, or you serve food or you do whatever, this is God's who has called you to it. So serving with humility is a key first step. Now, look at the second thing here that I think we can take away from this. The second thing is we need to serve with empathy. If we're really going to serve people, we're going to need to love people. We're going to need to identify with people. And if you'll notice, look at verse 19 and look at verse 31 in this text that we read. There is a common word in those two verses that I, I find very interesting coming from the pen of the apostle Paul. In verse 19 and verse 31, the common word is the word tears. Now, I do, not, I do not imagine Paul to be a touchy-feely guy. This is a man who was stoned. This is a man who was beaten with a lash. This is a man who was on a shipwreck. This is a man who knew what it was like to be in prison. I and mean, is a tough guy. And yet, what does he say when he's speaking to these Ephesian elders? He says, hey, I, I, I wept for you. He says it multiple times here. You know, it makes me think of what Paul said of the Romans. In Romans 12, he said that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. We are to weep with those who weep. Now, you're never going to get a vision for ministry. You're never going to get a vision for selflessness if you don't first learn how to love people. And let me tell you something, friends. In this book right here, all of the great leaders... Jesus and others. They loved people. They were committed to people, and they did it to people who did not love them back all the time, who were difficult to love. And we've got to serve with empathy and kind of get into their shoes, if you will. Now, being a pastor… Uh, I've been a pastor for 30 years before I stepped into this role. And as a pastor for 30 years, that means I've been chewed out quite a bit. I've been told a lot of ugly things. You can can only imagine. You know what I found out? A lot of the time somebody was ugly to me. A lot of the time somebody kind of fussed at me and chewed me out and was really ugly to me. I, I learned that when that person did that to me, they were going through something in their own life. And as pastor, I just kind of got to be the bullseye and they kind of got to spew it out on me. And I, I, it gave me a lot of empathy for them. I got to put myself in their shoes. Now, here's another anecdotal story. I think this is true. There's some, there's some evidence for it, uh, but uh, it, it's, it's about when, when a guy named Carl Benz invented his first automobile in 1886. So, he creates this gas combustion engine gizmo that you can sit in and drive, and they, they called it the horseless carriage. And so in 1886, he starts driving his horseless carriage through the streets of Munich, Germany. By the way, he named, he didn't like the phrase horseless carriage, so he named his invention after his daughter, whose name was Mercedes. Mercedes and so he's driving along, and the people hated this thing. It was loud, it was a big old loud contraption, it was scaring children, it was frightening the horses, and people just hated this thing. And so they passed this law that said, in town, the horseless carriage can only go three and a half miles an hour. Out of town, it can go seven miles an hour. Now, Benz knew the car was never going to take off and replace the horse if he couldn't even outgo a horse at three and a half miles an hour. So he did something pretty creative. He goes to the mayor, he says, "'Mayor, would you like to have a ride in my new horseless carriage?' and the mayor's little, you know, I don't know if that thing's, oh, come on, you'll enjoy it. So finally the mayor gets in there, and the mayor, they start driving, the mayor's like, wow, this is kind of cool, you know, tick, 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 whatever a horseless carriage did. I don't know if it did this or not. But uh, here they go. Now, what he didn't know is that Bins had planted something. And when they got to a certain part of the town here, he had planted the milkman on horse and cart to be waiting And as the horseless carriage with Benz and the mayor goes by, well, here comes the milkman and his horse and his wagon. And right as he gets even with the horseless carriage, he kind of cracks the whip and the horse just kind of takes off. And there goes the milkman. And he he waves at Benz as he goes by. And the mayor, now kind of enjoying his ride, was like, well, hey, you can't let the horse pass you. This thing's supposed to replace the horse. This thing's supposed to be better than the horse. And, And Mr. Benz just looked at the mayor and said, I'm sorry, sir, I have to drive the speed limit. It wasn't long after that 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 speed limit was raised quite a bit. And You know, what I tell you that story. If you're really going to serve people, sometimes you got to get in the car with them. Sometimes you just got to identify with them. You got to get yourself in their shoes. Listen to another interesting passage from Paul, First Thessalonians two. He says, "But we proved to be gentle among you." as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Now, did you hear the vocabulary in that passage of Scripture? Tears, nursing mother, fond affection, giving your life. We've got to develop a heart for the people that God has called us to serve. Even if they're hard to love, even if they don't love us back, we've got to serve with empathy. Now, here's the next thing about our service. The next thing is we've got to serve with the gospel. And know that we are not called to just be kind to people. We are not called to just help people. Now, we are to be kind, and we are to help people. But as followers of Jesus, why are we doing these things for other people? Why do we live on mission? It is to point them to Jesus Christ. Everything we say and everything we do in order to serve people needs to come from the framework of pointing them to Jesus Christ. Now, you look at verses 20 and 21. You look at verses 27 to 31. For, for example, in verse 27, Paul says that he, he, he declared to them the whole counsel, the whole purpose of of God. In verse 21, he talks about preaching repentance. And then you see also in 21, he's preaching to Jews and Greeks. So he's preaching to everybody, and he's not holding anything back about the gospel. Now, friends, I hope that you'll just really listen to me here, because I think this is a very, very important thing. We live in a culture today that really does not want you to preach the gospel, We live in a culture today that thinks that this book in my hand is something that is antiquated, it is out of touch, and it desperately needs some cultural sensibilities put into it. But I'm going to tell you, if we do that with the Word of God, if we do that with the gospel, we have really stripped it of its saving power, and we cannot adulterate, we cannot water down. Listen, I think this is so important, especially for younger people to hear today, Forty years ago, when I was a young person, the culture at large, even the secular culture, still derived truth and identity from a transcendent source, meaning God in the Bible. We even we even understood our, our, our gender from our biology. We understood that from from God and the Bible. But now we come forward to this day and age, and now we do not look to a transcendent source. We do not look to the Bible to give us truth and identity. What do we do? We look to ourselves, and we look to how we feel about it, right? And I say this to young people all the time. Anywhere I preach and I see young people, why talk about this? Because we kind of tend to think, hey, when you do that thing right there, if it makes you feel good, well, then it must be true. If all your buddies are doing it, well, then it must be true. If you saw them do it on Instagram or Facebook or Snap, well, then it must be true. And today we've bought this lie. Just as he's saying here, fierce wolves, even people from within our own ranks, will rise up and try to tell us that truth is something that you create. It's how you feel. But truth is not something you create. Truth is is something you discover, and you discover it in the Word of God. We cannot be trusted as sinners that we are to determine what is right and wrong and true and false and moral and immoral. We need God who is perfect, who created us to tell us these things. And i tell you, the world today, it, we're, we're looking for answers on this. The world is looking, friends. Can, can I tell you all a really fascinating stat? Now, just listen to this. This is going to kind of knock your socks off. Did you know that since the year 2010, so in the last 13 years, there have been about 10,000 books written and published with the word identity in the title of that book? Is that not fascinating? You know what that tells me? That tells me that our culture today is in an identity crisis. They want to know the answers to the big questions of life. How did I get here? Is there a God that created me and put me here or did I get here through billions of years of random mutations and chance? Now that I am here, what is my identity? What is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? And then one day, when I close my eyes in death, and by the way, I checked again just this morning, folks, the mortality rate for all human beings still 100%. When I close my eyes in death, some of y'all get that at lunch today. When I close my eyes in death, is there going to be something waiting for me? Is there a life after this? Now, I know I'm a biased Baptist preacher, but I'm going to tell you what, friends, I think this book I'm holding in my hand is the only source that accurately answers all of those questions. We draw our truth and our identity not, not from us, not from the culture, but from God and His Word. So, let's not be embarrassed by the gospel. We don't need to go around and be mad at everybody. We don't need to be going around banging our, the Bible over people's head. We don't need to be ugly about it at all. But friends, in love and kindness and grace, we've got to stand on the truth. And if we're pointing people to some culturized version of the gospel, we're not pointing them to anything that can save them. And that's what we want to do at the end of the day. Now, here's the, here's the next thing. Next thing is we've got to serve with sincerity genuineness. And I think you see this towards the end of this passage, you you look in verse 26, you look in verses 33 to 35, you notice that Paul kind of has to defend himself, right? Now these fierce wolves are probably telling lies about him, that's why he's doing this right here. But what does Paul say? Paul says, I did what I did in serving you out of a clean conscience. He says, I worked with my own hands. I, did, I, I, I didn't mooch off of anybody. I didn't do any of that. Man, I, 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 can, I, I, I did it all with integrity. I did not have an ulterior motive. And we've got to answer that question. We, we've got, first thing we've got to say, hey, why are you doing what you're doing? Is there some kind of ulterior motive? Are you teaching your Sunday school class so that you can just have a little kingdom? Or are you really serving the Lord? Do you do this ministry over here so that you can kind of be in charge? Or are you really serving the Lord? And the other thing I think you got to realize in all of this about serving with sincerity and the whole context, the whole framework of the passage, is that there is this real good, solid understanding here that you can't do any of this in your own strength or power or wisdom. And if you think about it, <laughs> this is a really tall order, right? Hey, uh, uh, to be selfless, to to, to be humble. To have empathy for people and love people even when they may hate me, and to have this kind of genuineness, let's face it, friends, that's stuff we cannot do in our own strength. And the only way that we're going to accomplish this is Jesus Christ living His life through us. Now, friends, I want to, let's just, for one second here, let's talk about just this biblical doctrine of, of dying to self when we come to faith in Christ. Now, you look at that cross right over there, there's a light on it. One of the hallmarks of Paul's theology was essentially this. The moment you come to faith in Jesus and follow Him, you basically crawled on that cross and died with Him. You have died to yourself. And friends, that's where we've got to to have that in order to really serve and really do what you see in this passage of Scripture. Now, the Apostle Paul, I think in Galatians 2, really kind of portrays, he says it the most poignantly powerfully. Uh, he says this in other places, we are not our own, we're bought with a price. But in Galatians 2, this, this is my paraphrase, Galatians 2, Paul basically says, hey everybody, I'm alive, but it's not me that's alive, it's Jesus living his life through me. So, friends, um, I'm convinced that the Scripture teaches that we're only saved one time, but we die to ourselves every day. My challenge to you this morning, when you wake up before your feet hit the floor, die to yourself. Will your prayer be, "Hey Lord, I don't want today to be about my agenda or my pride or my lust or my greed or my anger. I want it to be about your agenda." And I want to just picture that for you here. Um, I kind of have a crazy job, (laughs) and uh, a really good stress relief for me is uh, I love to work a chainsaw. I like to cut things down, haul things off, work out in the yard. That's just—it's just kind of—I can turn my brain off and. So, uh, I got a lot of work gloves at home, and I brought one of my work gloves. And I I just want to illustrate this idea of us dying to self, emptying self, and Jesus living His life through us. So, this is a work glove. It's it's a good glove. It's made out of really high-quality leather. It's stitched together really well. It's got the extra stuff in the palm, and this is a good work glove. It's designed to do work. It's not designed to keep me warm, or it is designed to work, okay? Okay? Now, uh, I I put my phone right here, and and here's the glove. Now, since this glove is designed for work, uh, I want this glove to do some work, and I want this glove to pick my phone up and take it down to, to Jason right here on the front row, all right? So, hey, glove, here's what I want you to do. You're supposed to do some work, so I want you to do the work of picking up my phone, and I want you to take it to Jason, all right? Go. Hmm. Why did that glove not work? Maybe that glove just needs some instruction. Okay, that's what it was. He just didn't know what to do. Hey, Glove, here, here's what you're supposed to do. You, you take your fingers and you kind of curl them a little bit like this, and you take your thumb and you kind of squeeze them together around the phone, and then you lift up and then you walk it over there to Jason. All right, now you know how to do it. Go. Go. Maybe this glove just needs some encouragement. Maybe y'all can help me with this, all right? Maybe it just needs a little bit of cheerleading, a little rah-rah, so y'all help me. All right, come on. Come on, glove, let's go. You can do it, glove. Everybody's behind you. You can do it. Hmm. You know what? I know what this glove needs. This glove just needs some fellowship. This glove just needs to know that he's not doing it alone. So let's just put some other gloves with this glove, shall we? Look, all other kinds of gloves. Man, there's even a Dallas Cowboys one. I hope they're going to be winning about right now. And uh, all right, glove, you're not alone. You got all these people with you. Go. Hmm. You know know the only way that glove's going to work? Is if I take my hand and I feel every part of it with my hand, and I animate and energize and empower this glove to do the work. Friends, that's really a picture of what it is to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm going to try to do all this stuff on my own. That's about as far as I'm really getting. But when I die to myself, and the Lord Jesus comes and fills me with His presence, His Spirit, and He empowers and enables me to do what He's called me to do, now that's how it works. Friends, I hope every day you will die to yourself. Every day you will ask the Lord Jesus to fill you, empower you, enable you. This last thing here is we serve with generosity. You see here, how does the phrase end? How does the whole passage end? Just as the Lord Jesus said, it's better to It's more blessed to give than to receive. How can I give of myself? How can I live so selflessly? It's right here, friends. It's every day before my feet hit the floor, dying to myself and the Lord Jesus Christ living his life through me. Father, I want to thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. And thank you, Father, for this call for this admonition today to serve you, to die to self. And Lord, we know that the only way we can be humble and selfless, the only way that we can have empathy and love even the unlovable, to serve with sincerity and generosity, if we follow the example of Jesus, Jesus, And realize that we are not here to be served, but to serve. We are here to give of ourselves, to give our lives to you, Lord. And you to live your life through us, using you for your kingdom and your glory. So I pray today, Father, for anyone that's listening to this message today. Who has not turned away from trying to find identity and truth in anything of the world. Not everything in the world is bad. It's not bad to have things, but when things have us, then there's a problem. And when we draw truth and identity from anyone or anything or any of our abilities, whatever it might be, that becomes a God to us. Father, we want you to be the God, the only God in our lives. So I pray, Father, for that person that's still trying to draw truth, identity, fill their bucket anything that's not you, Lord, show them that's a waste of time. And I pray that person today might turn from their sin, turn from the world, and look to you in faith. Draw their identity, understand truth from you and nowhere else. I pray for my friends here that know you and love you, God, that you would just, through your Spirit, search our hearts. Show us areas in our lives that we we have not died to Show us how to love the unlovable. Show us how to not think of ourselves. Show us how to be genuine and generous. And knowing that we cannot do that by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and our own strength and our own wisdom. But Lord, only through you living your life through us. So thank you, God, that you've called us to serve. That is indeed what we want to do, God, with our lives. Knowing that when we follow you and obey you, We are living for what is eternal and not temporal. And we ask this in Jesus' name.